We have male allies and females that are um, successful in the industry, and we've created this community. It's not a club, it's not a membership club, but it's a community that are committed to mentorship and advocacy and to support women in all roles and all professional in motorsports to help grow the sport. The Ford Pinto was my first race car when I strapped myself in that car and drove it a, you know, a whole whopping probably 105 miles an hour with a, you know, tailwind on the straightaway, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, you know? I mean, it was the coolest thing I'd ever done in my life and, and I've never looked back since. Hello everyone, welcome to Power Up Women, a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know by now that I am a huge believer in the value of girls and women competing in sports. And I have a legendary sports champion about to join us. But before I introduce her, I want to mention two gigantic steps forward for women's sports that just occurred. In the world of college basketball, here in the US, we just completed the March Madness National Championships and the University of South Carolina Gamecocks defeated the University of Connecticut, UConn, taking the baton as the new dynasty in women's basketball. And they did it in front of a sold out crowd and national TV coverage. But more than that, the women's tournament was covered by several hundred sports journalists, way more than ever before. And in the world of soccer, history was just made on perhaps the most sacred ground in the sport, Barcelona, Spain's soccer stadium. 91,553 fans, a world record crowd for a women's match, watched Barcelona defeat Real Madrid in the European Champions League match. The previous record for a women's game, just over 90,000, was at the 1999 World Cup between the US women and China at the Rose Bowl. So 50 years after Title IX unlocked doors of sports opportunity for girls, women athletes and women's sports are building powerful traction. And now women's motorsports is shifting into high gear. And my guest is in the leadership driver's seat. I am thrilled to have with us legendary race car driver, Lynn St. James a motorsports trailblazer named by Sports Illustrated for Women as one of the top 100 athletes of the 20th century. And in July, she will be inducted into the very prestigious Automotive Hall of Fame. Now that's just the tip of the iceberg. Lynn's list of racing and leadership accomplishments could literally take up this entire podcast. But let me just mention a few. She is the second of only nine women who have ever raced in the Indianapolis 500, which is often described as the greatest spectacle in racing. And she is also the first woman to win the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year Award. Lynn has competed, won, and set speed records on racetracks around the world, including the prestigious and demanding 24-hour endurance challenges at Daytona, Sebring, 
and the past president of the Women's Sports Foundation. She's now stepping into leadership roles in North America and international governing bodies for global motor sports. And she is about, about to announce some big news. So I was lucky enough to get to know Lynn a few decades ago while I was a rising executive at Ford Motor Company. And uh, she was helping Ford launch vehicles with automotive test journalists. And I know from very personal experience that Lynn St. James is no queen bee. She has always been an ally and supporter of other women. Welcome, Lynn St. James. Thanks, Anne. It's so good to reconnect with you. We, we had some fun back in those days, and it's just really good to see that we're still kicking and we're still, you know, <laughs> still driving and still making things happen. So uh, thank you very much for having me. Oh, yeah, my, my, my pleasure. And I know our listeners want to hear about what it feels like to sit behind the wheel of managing, you know, multiple types of race cars at terrifying speeds as well as to hear about some of the gender bias that I know you had to overcome. But I wanna start with the headline, which is the, the creation of this Women in Motorsports North America organization, which you are co-founded. Tell us about what it is and why it's needed. Well, it's, um, it's definitely needed. It's been needed a long time, but you know, timing is everything. And sometimes we just can't control the timing. But I, you know, for after decades of working on just trying to help young females be more successful as race car drivers, I realized that it, it really, our sport has grown so much and women are really actually very successful in our sport. Many, many women are successful as have careers, whether it's in executive level or marketing or PR or even team owners. Now we have female team owners, but it was like, People don't know about it, for one thing. It's just like, because the drivers are always the most visible people that people talk about in our sport. So I wanted to, to figure out how can we uh, assemble these successful women and, and, and get the word out about them, but also ask them to mentor others so that, we, that the more voices we have out there and the more people we have reaching out and helping you know, pull up the ones that are in there and to bring more people into it. So I reached out to Beth Peretta, who is one of those team owners that I talked about, and she owns Peretta Autosport and had a successful Indy 500 team in last year's Indy 500 with a female driver and a female crew. And I asked her if she was interested in co-founding something with me and trying to help figure this out. And she totally is on board. And then we reached out to about 40 other people, men and women, because one of the things I've learned is that without men, women will never achieve equality. I mean, we all know that it's been men that has given us opportunities that has, has been that hand to reach out and, and pull us up. And so, and we call those allies. So we have male allies and females that are um, successful in the industry and we've created this community. It's not a club, it's not a membership club, but it's a community that are committed to mentorship and advocacy and to support women in all roles, in all professional roles in motorsports to help grow the sport. I mean, the sport wants it, the sport needs it, but they need some leadership. They need, you know, they need to figure out because they're busy still putting on their business. So, so that's what we'll be doing. We're launching it in April of this year. And it will be a website. It'll be a community that people can reach out to. Will be a, a real great resource of information. You know, our sport is a business. But it's a business that a lot of people don't understand. You know, the, when you think of Olympic sports or you think of the NFL and other pro sports, it's a pretty transparent way that those businesses are run. 
But in motorsports, it's a very entrepreneurial type of business. Every race team functions differently. And then there's these different racetracks and these sanctioning bodies. It's a pretty complex, it could appear to be complex, but the reality is it's, there's a lot of different business models because they're all entrepreneurs. So what we do is we wanna be able to be this sort of central hub of information to help people sort of demystify what our sport is about. You know, when reading some of the material that you gave me about the organization that you're creating, one of the things I loved is you talked about the importance of bringing together the older generations to support and encourage and empower the next generations. And, and I think that's an important model that women could follow in a lot of different fields. But what is it about that that you thought was so important? Well, you know, there's nothing that can replace experience. I mean, you have to have a passion or particularly in our sport to be in, in this industry, to be in motorsports and work in motorsports, you really have to be passionate about it. It's, you know, it's not a nine to five. We work on weekends, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's not something that is easily managed a life around. And so, but yet again, there are many women and, and I've, Alba Colon is one that comes to mind who has worked for GM. I mean, she was from Puerto Rico, went to, got her a, an engineering degree, came over to the United States, worked at GM, then was actually the engineering representative for General Motors with all the NASCAR teams. I mean, can you imagine a Puerto Rican woman now working and representing wow. General Motors with all these NASCAR teams, you know, and now she's right. working for Hendrick Motorsports, but she's been doing this for like 30 years. And so, you know, she has a wealth of knowledge. And, and so it's those types of women and many others that are, in fact, a, a woman that is now in her pos position at GM is in her 30s, I think, or 40s. I mean, she's a, another generation, right? Right. So it's, it's just shared best practices. It's shared storytelling amongst not just ourselves, but amongst ourselves that we're willing to share with others. And so, that, but nothing beats experience. And this is, these will be voices of experience and it'll be voices of experience to want to make a difference. It isn't just to tell the story. It's because how can we help? How can we make a difference for, for others? You know, the whole idea of, of a sisterhood of women supporting one another in a particular field isn't something that just happens. I mean, it takes leaders to step forward, to be the role models in terms of that, and to show the younger women how, not only how to succeed themselves, but how I have this phrase, you know, every woman for herself is a losing strategy. Yeah. That, you know, once, and I think that we're seeing the younger generation starting to get that in a way, maybe that women of our generation who felt we had to fight for the one seat at the table or the one opportunity, the one woman that might get sponsored in a race car, it, it kind of set us up to compete, see one another as the competition instead of our allies for a bigger piece of the pie. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a different generation now, but you know, my role model was the Women's Sports Foundation. I mean, Billie Jean ah. King and, you know, when I got, became involved with the Women's Sports Foundation and I saw all of these women in all these different sports, I mean, and also a lot of men, it was men and women on that board. It wasn't just women. And, and I, that really resonated with me because my sport, of course, is male dominated. And I was yeah. trying to figure out, did I have a fit in with the Women's Sports Foundation since my sport, you know, there's so few women that compete and almost every other person represented a women's sport, you know, whether it was women's golf or women's tennis or, you know, women's soccer. I mean, they were all women's sports that 
uh, only women competed in those categories, but many men were also advocates and, and allies. And so what and I in saw- positions of power, and in positions yeah. of power to finance these teams, et cetera. Exactly. And, and you, know, you, you have to, you, the leaders and the people of power are who you have to be communicating with and working with because that's the decision makers. The decisions makers are the ones that are going to make the difference. So, but my role model was the structure of the Women's Sports Foundation, the organization, and, and to be honest, I'm still using that today in, in the formation of the Women in Motorsports North America. You know, another unique thing about motorsports is the fact that it's one of the few sports, I'm an equestrian, and, and it's true in terms of equestrians as well, one of the very few where men and women compete against each other because it's not about the physical strength of our bodies, it's the physical capabilities of the, the horsepower that we're skilled to ride. But that's a unique piece, I think, that, that hasn't been tapped into yet. But I think it's also a great example of, of our society because it's men and women competing against each other, but also working together. I mean, because really our race teams are, it's a team sport, I call it a hybrid. You know, it's a it's a team because without a crew and I my car's not going anywhere, you know, and it's not going to be fast. And now the more integrated we have our crews where we have men and women, we have women engineers, women fabricators, women tire changers. We have women now working in. in and so mm -hmm. it's a fully it's a really great example for society and for corporate America to see that visibly men and women working together make a better team. Well, in terms of the auto industry, that that whole industry is kind of known for being a, a tough industry for women, but the very fact that Mary Barra is now the CEO of General Motors and has done such an outstanding job of leading that company sets the stage, I think, for this to just explode. But I know you have history with Mary. You go way back with her too, don't you? We do, yeah. We, we've served on the board of Kettering University, which was formerly GMI, General Motors Institute, which she was a graduate of. But we were, you know, for many, many years, for at least two decades, I served on that board and, and Mary was on it for a long time as well before she before she became Mary Barra, you know, the, the CEO of General Motors. But, but I mean, I've seen such a change in the automotive industry as far as the, the full integration of, of women in leadership roles across the board of all of the car companies. And I, I mean, I, I stay very much in touch with the automotive industry. I get automotive news, I read it every week. And I'm just really delighted to see, you know, how many women are, you know, and technology has become such an integrated part now of, of the automotive industry. And women are just, you know, I think they're just blossoming everywhere. And so it doesn't mean that work still doesn't need to be done. It just means that, you know, work so much has been done, so much progress has been made. I know you're still driving, you're still racing, you're still competing, and you're involved with vintage racing and a lot of things like that. But you've also begun this, this new chapter in terms of, I mean, founding this organization. But tell us how you got into this. What triggered uh, this whole thought about, whoa, we need an organization to pull women together. What started this part of your career? Well, I mean, I had had a, a, my own foundation and did driver development. And as I said, for decades worked on that. And to be honest, I felt like the Lone Ranger. I was just that sort of lone voice out there and, and people celebrated what I, you know, maybe didn't celebrate, but they certainly, you know, complimented me for the work that I was doing. But I didn't feel like progress was being made. And I kind of went quiet for a while. And last year, I was actually notified 
by this organization called ACUS, which is the Automotive Competition Committee of United States, which sort of oversees the leadership of the most every form of motorsports in the United States. And they have a board, you know, like most organizations do, and they have representatives from all those different motorsports organizations, but they have independent board members and uh, that are not affiliated directly with any of those organizations. And I was asked to serve and I was, I was, it was an honor and I was delighted. And so I'm an independent board member. And so now I, I have a seat at the table, to be honest. And, and they all know why they know my passion. They know what I've been doing for these decades. So um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, this is not a surprise, right? At the same time, another role that I was able to take on was representing North America in an international, the FIA International Women in Motorsports Commission. So last year I spent, you know, of course, all virtual now with Zoom meetings. I attended their meetings and I learned about what was happening globally for women in motorsports. And quite frankly, I was very impressed. And I realized that even though there was a lot going on in the United States, we were not organized. We were not really, there, there was just, we were not organized. It was a very fragmented amount of activity and, and nobody really, again, knew what we were doing. And so I felt what we needed to do is organize ourselves so that we could really have a voice, that we could really grow and that we could help our sport grow. And, and, and that's why it was just, hey, I, we, I got to get this stuff organized. And so, you know, that's kind of my way my brain works. And I reached out to Beth Peretta and asked if she was interested in co-founding it. And as I said, we've got another 40 people that came on board that represent all across the board, the different professional levels and, and uh, categories of motorsports. And next thing we know, we had a working group and we started having meetings and, and now we've got, you know, 501c3 and we are off and running. What was it that you learned from the, the women in other parts of the world or that you, you sensed that they were onto something or way ahead of us in terms of that? Well, when you talk to people, when you're involved in, in listening to realizing that there are women racing in Saudi Arabia there who just started driving, you know, got you know, the opportunity just to drive. Hey. There are women racing in Africa. There are women racing in all countries of the world that have benefited because they are working together with the with the parts of the world where women are racing, like the UK. I mean, you know, the UK and France and Germany, it's been much more prevalent to have because racing is very prevalent there. And they've had, you know, young females and, and different types of females that are, have been very active there. Well, they have helped reach out to other parts of the world. So when I just saw that what can how it can make a difference when when one country talks to another country, well, in our world, we don't have countries, we have states and we don't have, you know, it's, it's a little, it's a different culture here, but we have, we have drag racing, we have sports car racing, we have NASCAR racing, we have IndyCar racing, we have, you know, all different forms of racing and they all live in their silos and, mm -hmm. and they all sort of compete against each other. And I thought, well, if we can't get all of them to start talking to each other about this mm -hmm. subject of how do we grow the sport and, and provide more opportunities for women in motorsports, then then there's something missing here. And that's when I realized that that's, that's what this organization is going to help do is that we're going to help kind of be this sort of glue to start helping all of the motorsports communities grow because they're going to get a lot more successful women in those sports. Well, it's tremendous that you are not just uh, sitting back on your laurels. I know you're, you have a grown daughter. I know you're a grandmother with a adorable young baby girl and, and a baby boy too in your life, but how fantastic that, you know, that you are, are still helping to lead 
opportunities for women in in your field. But I want to get you, our listeners, into a race car with you, or at least into your head in terms of that there must be this incredible sense of joy that you have. Can you share with us, how, how do you feel when you get into a race car and, you know, strap on your seat belt and put your foot, the pedal to the metal? You know, it's, it's funny because you, you wear the car. Um, when I sit in the car, in the race car, I don't feel this way when I get in a street car, but when I sit in the race no, car, no, no. Yeah. when I sit in that race car, after I put a race suit on, which is sometimes looks like a Pillsbury Doughboy, you know, because there's so many layers to it and it's heavy. But when I put that on, it, it, again, I, I, I become, it becomes one with me. And when I sit in that car and I strap in, I, I'm literally now wearing that car. That car is an extension of me. I don't know if you feel that way. I never felt that way when I, I got feel that way with horse riders. I yes, yes okay. I know what you're I, talking about. You have so, to be that way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you you are connected, totally connected. And and then you feel the car. I mean, you're listening, you're, you're sent, your sense of sound, your smell, your visual, you know, cues that you're looking for, the feel of the steering wheel, everything, everything is, is your, all your senses are involved. So it's a very sensory experience and, and, and it's, it's wonderful. And what I really love about it, because you have this helmet and, and everything is that you're in a cocoon. I mean, you're, you're, you really, I feel the most safe. I'm very protected in there. You know, I have this car around me. It's the complete opposite to what people's perception is, you know, and it's like we can I'm invincible. We can go anywhere. We can do anything, you know, and and I talk to the car and it's like (laughs) it's just the hardest thing that maybe talk to the car. I talk to my horses. Well, that's so it's a very, very, very similar experience. I mean. You know, I, I love all sports. I'm not great at all sports. I don't run really well. And I, you know, I wasn't great at basketball and I'm not real good about strategy. I remember I was like, I never know where I was supposed to be, but I've never quite understood those sports where you're just physically running around. You're not connected to anything, you know? I mean, I love watching it and I have a huge appreciation, but I, it, I, it never connected with me, you know, where when I got in that race car, it was just like, this is me. I mean, I, it just spoke to me. This is me. I felt and, you know, women are so judged by our looks, you know, by our appearance. And when you get in a race car, you know, you're, you're invincible, you're invisible. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty your smile is, or if, you know, you're carrying an extra five pounds or whatever. I mean, you can't be overweight and drive a race car very well, because for lots of different reasons, but you know what I'm trying to say that it's, it's not, you're no longer being judged um, by what society issues that you have, that we've had to deal with. And so I, I loved every aspect of it, the community, the teamwork, when you get out of the car and working with a crew and understanding the mechanics of the car. I mean, all of this was just, you, I just immersed myself in it and I loved every aspect of it. I love the technology. I love the competitiveness. I love the sensory involvement and I love the connectedness to the crew and to the team and to understand that we're in this together and, you know, that we can make the car faster and better and I'm going to beat everybody out there. Well, take us back to the beginning a bit, because I know that for all you've accomplished, you have faced many, many, many times of gender bias and, and challenges. And will you share with us a little bit? about maybe an experience or a couple experiences that you remember that it's important for the younger generation to understand and, and how you got through those. I didn't start racing till I was 27. So oh. I, 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't just at all. I mean, I, my first time I was 27 when I started. So I started late. And so I also owned and operated my own business with my, my former husband. So I was a business person and I was, a bit, I don't want to say I was mature, but I was certainly somewhat mature at 27. A lot yeah. of the gals that I mentor that are racing today are, you know, they're in their teens or it's so there, there's a very young brain, you know, and, and processing going on. And so what I have learned is, is you have to have a voice. And I think that if you were to ask any of my competitors or my crew members or my teammates is that I was never, I'm not bossy, but at the same time, I never let anybody pull anything. And I would challenge anybody that if there was something not right about my car or something that should have been different, I mean, I've had a team owner who wouldn't give me qualifying tires. He wouldn't give me tires for qualifying, new tires for qualifying, because he figured, yeah, she's not going to get out of the pole anyway. I had that team owner by the collar and was really screaming upsetities at him. Just me. Really? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't right. I had Ford Motor Company as a sponsor. I'm a professional driver. I, I deserved and needed qualifying tires. So and I have had too many stories now that I'm hearing from these young drivers. Well, when their seat didn't fit right, because they, they actually custom make a seat, you know, that for the each of the race cars so that you're fitted properly. And I'm like, why did your seat, why did you not have a seat fit? Well, you know, I, I didn't want to ask them to do another one. And I really felt bad because I'm yeah. like, no, 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 you know. So, yeah. so I think the thing that I was fortunate that I I just had a voice and I would not accept less than and I fought, I fought at the right, I tr it was not always at the right time. Uh, I tried to pick the right time, but I, sometimes I probably screwed that up, but I, I always fought for what I thought was the, what I knew was the right thing and the fair thing. And I, I just didn't let anybody pull anything. And so I think that served me well. And I think it prevented me from probably having a lot more biases, even though I did have a lot because they, if the people had the, the control and I didn't have the control, then I had to accept whatever less than I got. You know, I got less than and I than I should have. So, but I still fought my battles. And and I believe that's something that every every person needs to, you know, men or women. I mean, if you are in if, and I'm not talking about entitlement, but if you've earned something or something is the right thing, you fight for the right thing. You fight for something that'll allow you to be and encourage you and help you be successful. You telling that story about the fact that you're shocked when you hear some of these younger women saying that they're frustrated by, but also accepting. I've heard that from the women astronauts, you know, with absolutely women astronauts who the, the spacesuits do not fit them. And, you know, trying to function, I mean, you can imagine, you know, you know that in terms of being in a racing suit. Yeah. But, you know, can you imagine being, you know, in a, you know, in a spacesuit that does not fit you correctly? Yeah, you have to have a voice and you have to fight if you're, you know, you have to fight to get the opportunity, but then you have to make sure that you have everything available to you to be successful and fight for that as just as hard as you fought to get your foot in the door. Any other advice for younger women listeners, perhaps about overcoming not only fighting for what you deserve and need and, and literally not being afraid to fight. I mean, there are moments when you absolutely have to fight. And, but also there are moments of overcoming fear 
that sometimes, you know, it's not someone else that's that's holding us back. Sometimes it's within us uh, holding ourselves back. When there's a hesitancy, I'm going to call it a hesitancy first. I mean, if because something, if fear sort of pops up, it's causing you to hesitate, to move forward, to take action. And so you have to question yourself why. And and for me, it's usually a lack of knowledge. I don't know something. There's something I don't know that I need to know. And so you could, to me, the best way to overcome fear is knowledge. You know, know everything that you possibly could know, know more than you even think you need to know. The more knowledge you are, you know, you are baking yourself into, the more powerful you will be and the more that will help you overcome anything that you might be hesitating about. You know, I think what is it? Fear is 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 really fear, or usually a failure, and and it's and if you just get over that, and then realize that the more power I have, the more knowledge I have, the more ability I'm going to have, and if I have the ability, then I have no reason to fear. The one time I have to tell you though, I got in a race car not too terribly long ago, and I hadn't been in a car in a while, and I and I I was like. I remember, I know exactly now where it was. I, it was at the bottom of salt flats and I'd never done it. And this was a number, not that many years ago. And, and I sat in that car and I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? I've never done this, you know? And, and then I just remember saying to myself, you know, talk to myself like I talked to my car, Lynn, you're a race car driver. You've gone over to, I mean, I had this car, you've gone over 200 miles an hour. You've raced in the Indy 5, you know how to do this. You know, so I had to give myself a pep talk. And then I was, I was in the moment Then I was, I became the race car driver again, but I had that hesitation that said, oh, do I, I've never done this. Can I, it's been a long time. You know, I had these doubts come in and I don't want to call that fear, but yeah. it was doubts, you know, and you can't be successful. Or you can't be powerful if you're doubting yourself. So either coach yourself out of it or knowledge yourself out of it, find out what it is you need to know. And, and that knowledge will become powerful and you'll be, you'll be fine. I have to ask about the young girl in St. James, because I mean, you, you just told me, I didn't realize that you didn't start racing until you were 27 years old. So I want to know two things. One. So what, what got you into that? What prompted you to say, I think I'll be a race car driver. And, and then also what was that young girl? Lynn St. James liked. And when you look back, is there something about her that you remembered? Oh yeah, of course she decided to be a race car driver at 27. No, <laughs> I, if you, if unfortunately most people that knew me way back then aren't around anymore, but you know, they've passed or whatever, but I am the least likely person to have ever become a race car driver. I mean, I took piano lessons for 13 years. I didn't have any sisters and brothers. My mom had polio. And so, you know, we grew across, grew up across the street from a factory. I didn't know how to play very well. I was not a physically active person until I went to girls' school and got sports because this was pre-Title IX. And, and so sports to me was what changed my life. And that was in seventh grade. And then in I, seventh through 12th grade, there was every season, you know, it was field hockey, volleyball, basketball, softball, tennis. You know, we had our, all of our sports that was mandatory. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you, you could, you had to. And so, as I said, I wasn't a great athlete, but I, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't, I wasn't a jock. I wasn't a tomboy. You know, I, I just, I wanted it. But I was this piano person sat at the piano and, you know, I, I was just and I was shy. And so but I loved 
to drive. I, and I think there was, the, again, this sort of, I could hide in the car, you know, and, and I love to drive and I love to drive fast. And my mom taught me how to drive and, and somehow I just love to drive fast. And I went to the races as a fan and spectator. And then I went to the 24 hours of Daytona when I moved to Florida and, and I saw these, but I said, real people drive race cars. I mean, I went to the Indy 500, but that, you know, that's like, that's like AJ Foyt, Mario Andretti. Those are superhumans, you know? And I go and I see these people driving Porsches and Camaros and Corvettes and real race cars that are like real people. And, and I found out there's a club called the Sports Car Club of America, you know, so you just, you kind of follow your nose. And, and I was getting a lot of tickets anyway, so I figured I better find a legal safe place to drive fast. And, and that was on a racetrack. <laughs> so, it was, you know, it's just, and as I said, I strapped myself as a Ford Pinto was my first race car when I strapped myself in that car. And drove it, you know, a whole whopping probably 105 miles an hour with a, you know, tailwind on the straightaway. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, you know. I mean, it was the coolest thing I'd ever done in my life. And, and I've never looked back since. I mean, it's just, it took me a while to find my, my groove, you know, to find my space. But that's what it was. Well, you will be inducted, well-deserved, into the very, very prestigious automotive Hall of Fame in July of this year. And I know there's an event coming up in June of this year, which is about women in motorsports at the Automotive Hall of Fame. And, and I definitely plan to be there. Tell us about that event. Yeah, June 1st, the Automotive Hall of Fame had uh, decided they wanted to celebrate women in motorsports. And so they're hosting a, a, a panel discussion. And we're actually going to show a film um, about Betty Skelton, who was a, a woman race car driver and pilot and astronaut. She tried out for the astronaut program. She was an amazing woman back from the uh, 40s and 50s and I think into the 60s. And so a little bit of a look back of history of an amazing woman that I had got the absolute joy of meeting when we gave her a Pioneer Award with my organization. And so they will show that film. And then we have a panel discussion that will talk about women in motorsports North America. And Taylor Ferns, who's a, a very, very successful race car driver out of Michigan, will be there with her car and a couple of other folks that will tell our stories about, about our sport and about our industry. It's the Wednesday June 1st before the Detroit Grand Prix. So it's kind of gives a little flavor of ha what's happening uh, a little bit further into downtown Detroit out in Dearborn at the Automotive Hall of Fame. So it'll be, I think it starts about four o'clock in the afternoon. It'll be a nice two or three hours of entertaining and informative and education and, and, and a little preempt of celebrating my induction in July. For people who are interested in knowing more, about the Women in Motorsports North America organization that you are just launching as the co-founder. Is there a website? There is a website, which we've been working very hard at putting together, but it's basically women, that's W-O-M-E-N, uh, women in motorsports, with an S, N-A for North America.com. And, or you can go .org because we are a, a non-profit as well. But there'll be a lot of resource, a lot of resource information in there about you know the programs that are going on, not just ours, but a lot of people are doing things. And that's the other thing is we're assembling, you know, the the activities and scholarships that are available, things like that that other organizations are doing, so that we can help celebrate and lift their you know their activities up. So it'll be a, a great resource page for for anybody interested in learning more about motorsports and how to get involved and, and, and really be able to profile. We have over a hundred successful people that we are profiling so that they can see what kind of jobs are out there and what these women are about and how they got those jobs and what, what piece of advice they give and, and things like that. So 
Is there anything you didn't get a chance to say that you want to add? Well, I mean, I think it's just really, um, you know, I think that we get caught up sometimes in what other people think about what we're doing and what we should or shouldn't do. And I guess I just wanted to would really would encourage people to search their their souls a bit about what it is that excites them and and never let anybody kind of stop you from pursuing those things, but to make sure you do the research and understand you know, understand that the boundaries but that exist, but don't accept those boundaries if, in fact, you realize that you can expand those boundaries and, you know, make a difference for others. So I just, I feel blessed that I've had this amazing life. I've been very blessed. I have the people that I've been able to work with. I've learned so much over these decades. I think that's the one thing that aging somehow can bring into your life as you start to really appreciate your past. I was always thinking about the next step in the future and, you know, next race and what's, what's next. And I really never paid much attention to my past, but I can tell you that with these recent celebrations that have come up and, you know, I, I've looked, reflected more on my life and, you know, I, I, I'm just really, really blessed. So I want to thank everybody that's helped me along the way. Well, I love what one of your friends said about you, that you have always had a voice, Lynn St. James, and now you have a megaphone and you will use it well. Thank you, Lynn St. James, trailblazing and legendary race car driver who is about to be inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame, just as she is continuing to help other women as she has always done with the formation of the Women's in Motorsports North America. Now let's all go power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening and share us with your network. We have over 100 episodes now, so there's plenty for you to choose from. And I'd love to hear your ideas for future episodes. You can reach me through my website at ann at anndoyleleadership.com. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.